George G. Got another awesome episode of the Aligned Money Show coming your way featuring Peter Lazaroff. He is the Chief Investment Officer of PlanCorp. He is an award-winning financial advisor. In fact, been named the top 10 financial advisors in the United States. He is a speaker. He is an author. He is a podcaster. Really super thoughtful guy. I always enjoy my conversations. We had a great conversation talking about identity and where we find our identities and thinking about not only our future selves in terms of saving money, but also what we're going to think and what we're going to feel and what we're going to want, what we're going to value at different stages of our lives and trying to, trying to be thoughtful and intentional about that. We talked about what is enough and what a what a big conversation an important conversation that is to to have with ourselves and the value of of being thoughtful and in writing and just thinking about what you're thinking about and finally close with a really great difference making tip that i know you will all benefit from let's go peter to get us started give me two truths and a lie George, I feel like coming up with two interesting truths is hard enough. I almost wanted to do two lies and one truth, but how about this? I got three things for you. Uh, I own a lawn care company. Okay. I won a national fantasy football contest in sixth grade. And I have thrown out a first pitch in a major league baseball game. Those are great. It just it took you just a second to come up with those, and those are all those are all excellent. Mm. Fantasy football in sixth grade. I don't think that that's true. It's very specific, but it is true. Um, <laughs> playing fantasy football before there were apps or websites. Um, me and a friend, I should say, I co won. So maybe I did lie a little, but we uh, entered a national contest and. Won, I think, $500, and now I'm addicted to fantasy sports, uh, I don't know, 30 years later. So, good for Okay. Me. All right. Yeah. So so that one was true. Which, which, which one was a lie? Uh, owning the lawn care company. I do okay. know somebody in finance, though, who owns a lawn care company, and it caught me off guard enough that it seemed like a nice lie. Yeah, well, totally. You you snuck that one past me. So, and you threw out you thrown out a first pitch at a major league baseball game. The, the Cardinals or, or who? Yes, uh, threw out a first pitch for the Cardinals in 2018 or 2019. And normally, when I'm recording podcasts, I'm in my home office, and there's actually a picture of me in my normal backdrop throwing out that first pitch. Uh, it was to Adolis Garcia, who is now on the Texas Rangers. And, uh, and it was not a good pitch. It was not a strike. There is a dirt mark to show that it was not a strike, but got to do it. Very, very cool and fun experience. Yeah. <laughs> I had forgotten that when George W. Bush threw out the first pitch after 9-11, just how amazing that was. Set politics aside, he goes out there in what had to be the most tense moment, maybe just in a long time and he just throws this bullet down the middle from the pitching rubber and yeah. i think look i'm not here to make excuses about my poor first pitch but i did go play catch with somebody from the office in the week leading up and told myself i'm not going to the rubber uh but there were two people who threw out a pitch before me who both went to the rubber i'm like oh i better go to the rubber otherwise i look kind of like a wimp yeah uh so yes uh 
George Bush going out, just throwing an absolute heater down the middle is a lot harder than people think from the rubber. So uh, good for him. Good for everybody else who's capable of, of doing it as well. Yeah. Well, credit credit you, Peter, being the man in the arena from throwing it out there literally. So <laughs> I think that that's awesome. All right. Good job. You got me. Well done. Moving on. What is top of mind for you right now, sir? Well, you know, there's a work answer and a personal answer, George. Um, I'll start with the work answer. So we're recording this in January. And so I feel like I spend a lot of this time of year trying to think of new ways to answer common client questions about their investments. This is the time of year where sometimes it could be the only time of year where people are looking at their portfolios and there's a lot more attention grabbing headlines. There are always attention grabbing headlines, but there's a lot more with predictions, forecasts involved. And so just trying to think through ways that we can sort of give the same information in different interesting ways. That's a lot of what's going on work-wise. But then personally, I found that uh, in my podcast, The Long-Term Investor, I had a lot of guests last year who had these overlapping ideas of identity and core values. And even uh, leading into this year, I've had some guests that talk about change and really the only way you can find stability and change is through these core values. So I would say personally, a lot of my goals and a lot of my personal time thinking is probably spent more on identity than, than ever before. Not midlife crisis, but truly in the academic sense, there's just so many benefits and thinking about saving for your future self and thinking about uh, diversifying what gives you energy. Um, you know, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I am the chief investment officer at Plan Corp, and I am an author and a podcaster. And I would argue that my identity probably was overly weighted towards work. And if you took away work pieces of my identity, well, then I'm going to be unhappy and irritable. Um, and similarly, the things that I think about in planning for let's say retirement somewhat arbitrarily, but anytime multiple decades out in the future, that person I know, you know, academically is a complete stranger to me. Now we're going to change over time. There's a lot of research that shows that the uh, brain waves, when we think about a strange, uh, excuse me, when we think about our future selves are identical to the brain waves of thinking about a complete stranger. And, um, there's a psychology professor at UCLA who describes your future self sort of like your spouse. Like you have a lot of the same core values, but you wouldn't buy your spouse a gift. Like I wouldn't go out and buy my spouse a new driver uh, because, you know, that'd be a gift for me. There are some core values that make my wife and I kind of a unit. And if you think of your future self as someone you were married to, but who's going to be very different from you, it does sort of change how you plan for the future. So we're kind of at that time of year, people are setting goals, trying to make resolutions and looking forward and uh, looking at identity and even trying to personally diversify it a little bit has been a big focal point for me, at least the last few months. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. What, what, what did something happen that prompted that just the time <laughs> of year? You know, I think it's just, I happen to have a string of guests, most focused in the behavioral finance arena, but some who are just uh, psychology and decision-making uh, experts. And I think that just sort of occurred to me when I'm going through the goal-setting process for each year, which is something I, I take 
one to two days off from work, create a lot of space. Sometimes I will even check into a hotel and really create a lot of space for myself to map out what I want to accomplish. And to me, um, that just seemed to be a piece where I I know my annual goals always had so many uh, achievements or work-related or even habit-related goals, benchmarks, mile markers, just nothing really on the personal side. I, I would say that the founder of PlanCorp, he he passed away at the end of last year. And, you know, I remember when he retired, it seemed like his work life was such a big part of his identity. Now he had identity tied in other things. He's a big hunter. He was big into music. He loved uh, college football. You know, he had all these other pieces, but I, I also watch people in, go through retirement and they have this grieving period where the purpose and energy level just is so different. And so to say that it was one instance that triggered it. It's probably a collective where I see people going through this pretty regularly. I think as a, almost all parents probably experience this when their kids go to college. And so it's where can you um, find areas of identity so that when they go away, you're not shaken to the core. Uh, the other thing I think would be, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of focus that goes into raising a family or growing a business ultimately having some other pieces to lean on so that that's not all you're focused on just makes life a little steadier overall. So that's, that's generally, there's been some soul searching there. You know, I used to be in a band that played um, out and was paid to, I can't even believe that we were paid to play out. We were good. I just, it's hard to think I was technically a professional musician. That should have been one of the truths. Darn it. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. You know, playing at bars, every weekend and you have kids and you can't do that anymore. And I know that at some point I'll bring that back, but that's a big piece of identity that's lost. Um, I identify as a reader. I identify as a traveler. Um, I love golf and I wish I were better at it. And I, for as much as I play, I ought to be better at it. These are things where, you know, relationships and things that you can lean on when something isn't going as well in one of those other buckets, uh, it's really important just to overall holistic well-being. That makes a lot of sense. Do you when do you have a, a regular writing practice or journaling? You're obviously a thoughtful guy. I sporadically have a regular process. So <laughs> I've gone periods where I've journaled a hundred days in a row. Um, when I was writing my book several years ago, no matter what book or otherwise, I would write 750 words before opening emails. Um that was a great practice. I have an agreement for another book that I'm just not sure when I'm going to write. And I know writing is one of those things where the more you write, it's just like a muscle. It's just like going out to run. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. And for me, a lot of these ideas that kind of are floating around in my head end up getting crystallized. And whether that's, again, about work or personal things, it's a really healthy process. So I do end up writing every day, but uh, unless I'm in the midst of something, it's probably not as disciplined as it has been throughout different parts of my career. I did just order Ryan Holiday's Stoic Journal. Um, It has not arrived. I don't know what prompted me to order it. I believe it arrives in about a week. And I did want to, all the journaling that I've done historically has been electronically through apps. I've never done anything handwritten. So, um, Somebody suggested it was interesting and it's a relatively short time commitment every day. So looking forward to giving that a try. It's interesting, right? I'm always curious 
as you're thinking about identity and being proactive about looking ahead to different seasons of life. And when this goes away, what am I going to do? How do I better position myself so I'm not feeling, I'm not shaken by loss. I can hopefully better navigate that loss. That's all stuff that that I, I, I love. I love hearing that people are thoughtful about that kind of stuff and stuff that I would want to sit down and, and think about. But just writing with a pen and paper comes very natural to me. Doesn't mean I always do it, but well, and George, I would add one more thing to that is that I think it helps you define what enough is. Mm. And in the first decade or so of my career, the definition of enough for me was more. And uh, yeah, there was some sort of break point where, look, I would love more. Don't get me wrong. You know, give me more. Why not? And I'm still working and still climbing. But I also do have a better sense of what enough is. And I don't think that was something that was a linear process. I think that this has helped sort of crystallize what that viewpoint is. And it does help you make choices with your time, with your money. Um, it just, when you are making good financial decisions, and uh, this isn't like, you know, it, it, working with people who make good financial decisions, they're usually just worried with how they sit relative to everybody else. I have a really fortunate position where I'm seeing a lot of people's finances. And so I know where I sit and I know what I'm supposed to do, but there is so much stuff that can't be solved in a spreadsheet with your finances. And I'm finding that even the way that we interact with clients, some of the behavioral training we're doing with our advisors, you know, the, the best type of advisor these days isn't a spreadsheet person. It's a lot closer to someone who's a therapist or someone who can be that ghostwriter for the life that you want to live. Like, what is that life you want to live in? My guess is if you had to really write it out, most listeners would struggle. And even if they wrote it out, I would probably be able to ask why of them multiple times until I actually got to the answer. So it's a good process. You know, it's uh, for someone who's chief investment officer in has come on, you know, podcast with you in the past, George, and talk numbers and talk tactics. It's a softer side, but I would say that it, where there are shades of gray in your finances, where there are shades of gray with your investments, it's these sort of things that helps you make those sort of decisions with confidence and in a manner that minimizes regret in the future. Well said. Enough. That's uh, that's hard won knowledge right there. Uh, how long did it take you to figure it out? And and what is it, if, if you can share? Well, I'm not too embarrassed to say enough is a level of income and cash flow where, uh, you know, we still worry about the amount of money coming in and going out. But I don't think if you substantially increase the amount of money coming in, that the things that I would end up sending money out for are that material to my happiness. And I, I, I did have a, a, you know, it's fine to have job offers here and there, but I got a job offer that was like a really substantially higher pay, maybe doubling, you know, my salary. And, and I knew enough about the company that, you know, became a conversation between my wife and I of how much is my happiness worth. Uh, and I also love it here at Plain Corp. But there is a certain point, much like an athlete, you know, will 
they might want to play here in St. Louis, but the Yankees are going to, the Dodgers are going to pay him, you know, an absolutely ludicrous number. They say, okay, well, I guess I'm moving my family because I got to do this for my family. Yeah. Having that conversation was definitely one of the bigger trigger points. Um, but then also it, so there's that monetary piece, but then there's the ego piece of what is enough for ego. Um, there are some leadership positions that I've stepped away from internally at the firm that come with a lot of prestige, but also take a ton of time. And every minute you're spending on something that isn't really as aligned with what you're interested in doing, you know, that just creates stress. And then I find myself worried, well, I'm not doing these things I really love to do. And if I'm, if I am finding a way to do them, it's usually coming at the expense of sleep or time with my family um, or time with my friends, I guess. I'll admit when you have kids, it is harder to find time with your friends, just period. But you know, uh, we, we still, we still see all of our good friends here and there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, all that really makes it, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense to me and it's not dissimilar to the idea of contentment. Do you think, do you think that sure. that's right? Sure. Funded contentment, uh, I know is Brian Portnoy's, um, kind of phrase that people should be striving for with their financial planning goals. Um, contentment is something that people should be proud of if they reach. And it doesn't mean everything's perfect and it doesn't mean they're happy all the time. And then you can still want more, but yes, I think that contentment is probably, you know, where you realize enough is, I think they're related. Yeah. What, uh, what instrument do you play, Peter? So I'm primarily a drummer. Okay. I can play <laughs> piano well enough that I would play it in front of people, but my skill level is limited. And then I can really poorly play guitar and bass, like really poorly. And people in my band will object to me even saying that I know how to play them. Um, can play the power chords and can... If I remember where the bass notes are, that's not too hard either. All right. <clears throat> so the Saturday night when we go down to a DJ's bar and grill or whatever, and and the band is playing, what what kind of music am I going to be rocking out to? So we started out uh, marketing ourselves as the youngest blues band in St. Louis. Hmm. So what that evolved to over time was we we did blues kind of blues classics from eight to ten. And from maybe 10 to 11, you start pulling out like things from, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. You start going back to people's high school pop songs by and by like the 12 to 1 a.m., like the final hour, you're just doing whatever the crowd wants uh, that you're capable of doing. So um, we had a lot of fun. Some of my bandmates are still playing uh, pretty regularly. And, you know, there's some people who, uh, again, they've built their life around that. They've That's been something they didn't want to give up. My grandfather, I remember he used to play saxophone at the Ritz-Carlton every Friday night of my entire childhood. Mm. And that was just like something he did. And I always think to myself, that's so cool. I hope that I can get a gig where I get to go play music. It's, it's really, um, I feel very fortunate to have the talent to do it. I feel very fortunate to know others 
who I enjoy spending that time with. And it's, it's just such a rush. Um, I never had aspirations of being a rock star. That seemed too risky for my personality financially. Um, but I did really enjoy doing it at nights on weekends, but I believe it was after, I, I think I lasted it until my now 10 year old was maybe one. There's something about getting home at about 2 AM when a baby was waking up at five that just didn't feel like a good fit for me. So, um, in about 10 years, I'll be an empty nester and, and we'll get after it again. I love it. Eight to one. Those are E street band kind of numbers, Peter, much, much respect there, brother. Yeah. We didn't all, we did the, uh, couple Mardi Gras shows too, where those would go, those would be like 12 hour shows Yeah, and, uh, sure. Like bloody hands in the works from from drumming all day, but those were a lot of fun. Something that I have no interest in doing uh, here in my late thirties, early forties. But when you're in your twenties, you can do anything. So, yeah, well, different seasons of life, Peter. Obviously, we're not saying never, say never, Absolutely. kind of a thing. So, Absolutely, we'll just have to see. I love it. <clears throat> well, Peter, you've already given us a lot, but we're ready for that difference making tip. Well, I hope it isn't overly obvious, but I think the difference making tip is focusing on incremental habits. Um, you know, it's, it. I think a lot of times, again, when people are trying to start something new, they're just shooting too big. And there are people who are motivated by big goals versus some people who are mo more motivated by easily achievable goals that they can exceed. But with habits, one thing I think people don't realize is how long they take to set in. Uh, it's not something that a month and honestly, even two months is enough time to really get a habit to set in. But, you know, if your goal is to exercise every day, it doesn't mean you have to get up at 5 a.m. and exercise for 90 minutes. You know, there, there are there are definitely levels of getting there or writing. Um, I remember there was a goal I once had of journaling 100 days in a row and I, my now 10 year old, my oldest was so into, he's like, daddy, did you journal yet? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Or, oh, I still have to do it. And he even started like journaling a little bit. It was, it was fun. And, um, I get out on, you know, I, I'm thinking, okay, I'm finally at day 100 and I'm getting out my laptop to journal. I open it up and it turns out day 100 was the day before. And I missed it somehow. <laughs> I got to 99. But here's the thing is, um, that was a habit that was forced and habits, you won't want to do at some point along the way. And that's the key. I think it's really when you like fight through that, that obstacle fight through that resistance to do whatever new habit is you want to do. That is what builds the habit is fighting through those things. And one month is not enough. Two months, I don't think is enough. It's really something where you're trying to just take it one day at a time. And ultimately it will become a habit without you even really realizing it. I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets it. Come on. Yes. One day at a time, brother. Peter, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you? George, thanks for having me. I'm on social media everywhere at Peter Lazaroff. You can go to the longterminvestor.com to check out the podcast. Um, podcast is on YouTube, podcasts on all the major podcast areas. And uh, join the email list. If you join the email list and you email me, I respond to every one of them. It's actually, I think, my favorite part about creating content is engaging with listeners, readers, viewers, et cetera. Love it.
Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Peter your appreciation, share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Check out the Long-Term Investor Podcast at thelongtermainvestor.com, wherever you listen to your podcast, find them on YouTube, get on that email list and interact with Peter. Um, he said he'll, he'll respond to your email. So go ahead and, 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 and ping him and find him on social media as well. I'll certainly link all those in the notes. Thanks again, Peter. George, thank you. And finally, a friendly reminder that it's never going to be anybody more interested in your financial success than you are. So act accordingly.